WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to NYC Now. Your source for local news in and around New York City from WNYC. I'm Janae Pierre. A new report paints a grim picture for New York City renters. The nonprofit Community Service Society finds that more than half of all tenants are considered rent burdened, meaning they spend at least 30% of their income on rent. The group's policy analyst, Oksana Marinova, says it's even worse for one-third of New Yorkers who give at least half their income to their landlords. That basically means that every single family that's in this situation is on the brink of eviction in any given month, and that's staggering. She says the findings show the need for stronger tenant protections and limits on rent increases. But landlord groups say those restrictions prevent new development and lead to worsening housing conditions. Stick around. There's more after the break. On Radiolab. First, we thought we'd made some sort of mistake. Two surprisingly simple scientific discoveries. This is crazy. <laughs> I mean, we were just so surprised. That makes us reconsider our assumptions about progress. We need to learn the language of the doctors of that time. We need to be a little bit less dismissive. Staff retreat from Radiolab. I learned a bit of humility this way. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Maimonides Medical Center in Brooklyn is evicting dozens of current and former employees from buildings that once served as employee housing. The move comes after Maimonides sold the buildings to a private developer as part of a $68 million real estate deal back in 2018. WNYC's Caroline Lewis visited the home of one of the tenants facing eviction. The bathroom didn't work. I had to change all those things there. Yeah, the toilet. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I enter the apartment, 66-year-old Victor Quinones and his daughter Barbara start listing everything Victor has fixed during his 15 years here. Quinones was planning to stay here indefinitely. When he first moved into this one bedroom, he was an employee at Maimonides, where he says he worked maintaining hospital buildings for over 40 years. As a nonprofit hospital, Maimonides is able to provide inexpensive employee housing that's exempt from some state regulations. The hospital housed tenants like Quinones on a month-to-month -month basis, without a formal lease. They didn't give me no paper to sign. They gave me the apartment just like that. Quinones says when he retired in 2018, he was told he could stay, although his rent would go up $300, from $950 a month to $1,250. Later that year, Maimonides sold some of its buildings, including this one, to a private developer called Iris Holdings Group. The hospital sent out notices about the sale, but once again told Victor and other tenants they could remain in their apartments, at least for the time being. 
The location near Maimonides makes it easy for Barbara to visit her dad on her lunch break. She now works at the hospital as an office manager. Yeah, we were all born there. I was born there. My, uh, my brother was born there. My niece was born there. Like I said, my dad's been working there for 42 years. I've been working there now for eight years. My brother used to work there. But now, Victor Quinones is preparing to go up against his former employer in court. Last November, Quinones received a notice saying he had to be out of his apartment in 90 days. Maimonides is also suing him and other tenants for thousands of dollars in back rent, even though Quinones says he's always paid on time. Watch your stuff here. Eviction notice. Quinones and 20 other tenants are fighting the evictions in court with the help of lawyers like Megan Walsh from the Legal Aid Society. When the new owners purchased the building, they created this new agreement with Maimonides. That's where the rent setting came in. Rather than simply turning the buildings over, Maimonides signed a master lease with the new owners, Iris Holdings. It allowed the hospital to continue renting out the apartments still occupied by current and former employees. That agreement covered 140 apartments across seven buildings, and the hospital told tenants their traditionally low rents would start rising over time. But hospital spokesperson Suzanne Tamaro says this arrangement was only supposed to last two years, and it was extended due to the pandemic. That's why Quinones didn't have to move out right away and why he and others now face eviction. Tamaro says that only the holdouts are being removed. Most of the 140 apartments have already been vacated. Here's Walsh again from Legal Aid. And the city's not only aware of it, but they're supporting and encouraging it, which, which makes it even worse. The new building owners signed a deal with New York City's Department of Housing Preservation and Development in 2021 to provide affordable housing in exchange for a tax break. It offered new leases to all the existing tenants in the buildings, except for the tenants linked to Maimonides. City spokesperson William Fowler says the department was under the impression that Maimonides' tenants would be offered new employee housing, but the city was unaware former workers would be left out. Quinones says he feels forgotten. And they left us over here. Senior citizen, they left us over here. He says he would be willing to sign a proper lease for an apartment in his building, but he was never given the chance. That's WNYC's Caroline Lewis. Election day is less than a month away. There aren't any statewide or citywide races on the ballot this year. But in New York City, voters will decide their local council person. And depending on where you live, some judicial races. Voters all across the state will have two opportunities to change the state constitution. And in both instances, the proposals focus on how the government borrows money. For more on next month's election, my colleague Michael Hill talked with WNYC's Albany reporter, John Campbell. Let's start with ballot proposal one. This one has to do with the amount of debt schools take on. What are voters going to decide here? Yeah, that's right. And and stick with me here, because both of these proposals really get into the weeds. Proposal one is focused entirely on school districts in small cities. We're talking places like Mount Vernon, New Rochelle, Newburgh. There's dozens of other cities. Most of them are upstate. And under the state constitution, the amount of debt those districts can take on is all based on the value of the taxable property in their city. So for small cities, they can take out debt worth 5% of that amount. That's half the percentage most other school districts can take out. Places like suburban districts, rural districts, they have a 10% debt limit. 
New York City school budget, it's baked into the city budget, and the city has a 10% limit too. So what voters are being asked to approve is a constitutional amendment that removes that smaller 5% limit for the small city districts. And if they do approve it, there's a bill awaiting Governor Hochul's signature that would give those districts the same 10% limit that's set under state law. John, put that in practical terms for us. What effect does that lower debt limit have on the small city school districts? I talked to Robert Bridenstine about that. He's the longtime executive director of the New York State Association of Small City School Districts. He said that limit comes into play when those districts are borrowing money to upgrade their buildings, repair their buildings, buy technology. If there's a district that has to, say, modernize their school buildings, they run up against that debt ceiling very quickly. Instead of doing roofs and security and uh, technology upgrades, maybe they'll just do the roofs this project and delay it until the next project. And there is a way for small city districts to get around that limit. They have to get 60 percent of the voters in their district to approve. But that's a pretty tough hill to climb. And a lot of districts don't even try because they don't want to risk having their entire project rejected. John, you've said a few times this proposal only has to do with small city districts. So why are New York City voters helping to decide it? That's because this this lower debt limit, it's been in the Constitution, the state Constitution, I should say, since the 1950s. And that's back when these small city districts were run by their local city governments. And that's no longer the case. And in order to change the Constitution, you need approval from voters statewide. So that means New York City voters get a say in it. I spoke to Brian Fessler. He's the director of government relations for the New York State School Boards Association. And he says his case to New York City voters is... If you are supportive of education, like the vast majority of the residents in the state are, then this is an issue of providing equity for school districts all across the state. Now, we should note this isn't the first time this proposal has been on the ballot. Voters had a chance to weigh in on this 20 years ago, back in 2003, and they narrowly defeated it. All right, John, we've covered proposal number one. And what about ballot proposal number two? What will voters decide here? So this is one that comes up every 10 years. And again, it's a question about debt and how much debt cities can take on for projects or upgrades. So again, stick with me. Uh, the Constitution lays out limits on borrowing for every county in New York. It's anywhere from 7 to 10 percent of their taxable property, but it includes a carve-out for sewage treatment facilities. And basically, if a, a city has to borrow to, to repair a sewage treatment plant or even build a new one, that doesn't count against their debt limit so long as they get approval from the state controller. And the idea behind that is pretty simple. It's sewage treatment plants are very critical infrastructure in any city, mm -hmm. any town, any village. And you wouldn't want to make it harder for a local government to repair or replace them if that's indeed what needs to happen. So that carve out, that exemption for sewage facilities is up for renewal again. If voters approve of this amendment, it'll be extended through 2034. Is there any opposition to either of these proposals? Michael, at this point, there really doesn't seem to be at least any organized opposition. I checked in with the state Republican Party and the Empire Center. Uh, it's a think tank based in Albany. They're both on the 
fiscally conservative ends of things, and neither of them seem to have any major issue with either of these proposals. That said, when I did talk to Brian Fessler of the School Boards Association, he noted that voters really can have a visceral reaction to the word debt. Mm-hmm. So the the school groups that support this, they're not taking anything for granted. They know they've got some work to do to try to get their message out to voters. That's WNYC's Albany reporter, John Campbell, talking with my colleague, Michael Hill. Thanks for listening to NYC Now from WNYC. Catch us every weekday, three times a day. I'm Janae Pierre. We'll be back tomorrow.